I'm Nathan Gould. And I'm Lazarus Gramos, and we're aiming for the back peg. This is Destination Doha, episode 5, and we're focusing on all things Group F. Belgium, Croatia, Morocco, and Canada. What a group this is with Belgium and Croatia headlining it, and we've been discussing Croatia's chances actually with a special guest, John Didelitza, who is the Director of Football at Melbourne Victory. So this is Destination Doha episode 5, talking about Group F, as we mentioned in the intro, Belgium, Croatia, Canada and Morocco, a group that perhaps on paper is a bit cut and dry on which teams are going to go through, but there is a bit more of an underlying story here. Nathan, yeah, you're right there. With regards to Morocco and Canada, they're very interesting entrants into this year's World Cup. Having a look at uh, Canada in particular is of interest. They're going through a whole football rebuild phase there, and it's interesting to note that um, John Herdman who was a previous coach of the women's national team in Canada, is now the men's national team coach and has led to uh, this Canadian side getting through from the CONCACAF region and taking their place in the first time in a World Cup since 1986. Morocco, somewhat familiar because they were in the last edition of the World Cup and there are some familiar household names there with Hakim Zayic. You've also got you know, Bunu at Sevilla who comes to mind. Um, and this area as well, Sevilla. Yeah, Harit at Marseille. And Akraf Hakimi at PSG. Yeah, El Haddadi at Getafe. So, yeah, there's uh, some familiar names there for us uh, f- you know, football followers, but it's uh, got an interesting dynamic, this group, with Belgium and Croatia clearly the outstanding favourites to, to progress. But Canada and Morocco could provide some nuisance factor here. And they need to provide some nuisance factor because this group can very quickly become a little bit of a of a of a fizzer because mm. we don't have Belgium Croatia until match day three. Yeah, that's right. The way it could pan out is this, the group is already wrapped up by match day three, and correct. You got Belgium Croatia on six points, the others on nil. Yeah, it's more than likely going to play out that way, Nathan. With regards to Belgium and Croatia, yeah, you're right. With it being the last match of the group, however, like we said, you know, Canada and Morocco could provide some nuisance factor um, here. In particular, I think the game... I mean, we'll get onto this later, but I think the game to look out for might be Morocco-Croatia, actually, and their styles up against one another. We expect and anticipate that the Moroccans will be playing some uh, free-flowing attacking football. Yes, you know, all these sides will need to defend, but Morocco's best form of defence will be attack and actually getting on the front foot, whilst the Croatians, you know, World Cup runners-up, pedigree. That doesn't come lightly. No, it doesn't. And we'll speak to our guess John coming on a little bit later on Ooh. about Croatia but coming into, the, into this tournament they've got a little bit of a reputation as an older team yeah one that's coming to the end of a cycle correct and Croatia might fall off a little bit and yeah. it won't be for maybe the next World Cup the one after where they start to rise again but th- that's not the case with this Croatia squad there's so much good young talent in this Croatia team now I think the argument of cycles is relevant but I think actually when it comes to Croatia, and I guess we'll get John's thoughts on this because he'll have a, an, an insight on this somewhat, it's more of regeneration with Croatia. The Croatians have got this knack where they're able to regenerate their national team very well. And you can go back to the 1998 World Cup. And since then, really, they've featured at most of the major tournaments since then, be it Euro or World Cup. So you look at this side and you think, okay, well, in fact... They've probably got more credentials than this so-called Belgian gener- golden generation. 
This has been coming up on the backpack a few episodes already. How much? We're looking into this Belgium side. Are they past it? Is the golden generation over? You think that is the case, Lazarus? Where they've missed the chance. They've missed the boat. I think, look, they've got some great players. I just think that they've missed the boat. I really do. The last Euros was probably the tournament for them to win. They were disappointing at the last World Cup. And I don't like to see anyone lose their job, but I'm actually surprised Martinez managed to hang on to that job in Belgium. There was a lot of chat about him mm. leaving just to go on his own volition to a European side. Perhaps yep. it was Barcelona in the news. But he has stayed, and he has got still what is a strong Belgium lineup. There's still some very high-quality players in this team. Just that front line alone, it'll be Lukaku, Eden Hazard, and Kevin De Bruyne. Well, well should we talk about Belgium now? So, goalkeeper. Thibaut Probably Courtois. the best in the world, right? Thibaut Courtois. Absolutely top three. Right. And at that point, it is just and, and, nitpicky. Yeah, and and I would say that I think he's just uh, being uh, awarded the Lev Yashin Award as well. right? So, best goalkeeper in the world, and I think that's fair. But they've got some good backup as well in, in Castells and, and Mignolet as well. Right? Mignolet, so, who's had a bit of revival mm, this mm. season. The goalkeepers are you know, pretty stable, class goalkeepers. The defenders, and this is where the problem is, Aging defenders with Alderweireld, Vertonghen, um, you know, and I dare say that Dendonka will probably be the, th- the make up the three at the back there that uh, Martinez likes to play with. But even then, he's not a out and out central defender, more of a midfielder that's stepping in, providing a role. Yeah, no, that's right. Like you've got Munier, who's at um, Borussia Dortmund. You've got other players that can cover uh, their uh, their defence as well. So. It will be interesting to see if there is any transition, um, you know, and Vertonghen and Alderweireld are on the outer. I dare say, though, that they will be... They'll start with Alderweireld and Vertonghen because of the familiarity. They've grown up together. So with Alderweireld and Vertonghen, mm. is that the main sticking point for you as to why yeah. this team won't be so successful? I think so. I think that time catches up with you and that they will be susceptible to some of the quicker attacking players that they'll come up against. Now, it may not be the case against Croatia, for instance, right? However, they might have a expected, you know, like a, an expected quality that they're going to be up against. But Morocco and Canada will have pacey players against them, and that's where they could get undone. Belgium, we assume, will get through because of their quality. However, I think they'll get found out in the uh, knockout stages. I don't, I don't think that, that they'll get past the quarterfinals, to be honest. I don't think they'll get past the round of 16. Mm, yeah, well, look, I, th- I think you're right there. Boiler here for yeah. the game by game at the end of the episode, but I think we'll both agree that Belgium will get out of the group. Yeah. Barring a catastrophic collapse. Yep. So that means they're either going to have, most likely, Spain or Germany in the first knockout round. I think Correct. both Spain and Germany knock over this Belgian side without too much trouble. Yeah, I agree with that. I think you're right. I'm not gonna, I, I, can't, I can't argue with you there. I, th- I think that's right. I'd like to argue with you, but I can't. <laughs> because I think that Belgium will be in trouble with whoever they come up against in the knockout stage. And already, just the way I'm thinking this group will shape up is Croatia, for mine, look a bit more prepared and ready to go on a bit of a, an, a launch and attack on the knockout phases of this tournament. Out of the two, I actually think that Croatia will go deeper than Belgium, myself. So do you see Croatia knocking over Spain or Germany? Yes, potentially. Potentially, I don't. I don't think it would sh- put it this way. I don't think it would shock anyone if Croatia beat Spain or Germany. It's a big call. But yeah. do you think it would be shocking? I think it'd be a surprise. I think both Germany and Spain go into a matchup against Croatia as favourites. You're talking about a, a team here, though, that was runners-up at the last World Cup. 
They were. Okay, they've aged a little, right? But Modric keeps getting better with age. He does, he does. And I'm not knocking this Croatian side in the slightest. Sure. But this is Spain and Germany we're talking about here. These are two of the best sides in the world. I don't yep. think you can put Croatia on the same level just about. I think pretty much any other side that will come second in the group phase would be an even match if at best for Croatia mm. and they'd be able to knock them up. Okay, let me ask you this then, Nathan. Would it be more of a shock if Croatia beat Germany or Spain as compared to either Belgium beating Germany or Spain? Oh, no. No, no, no. I agree with you on that. Mm. I think Belgium, if they were to get through to the quarterfinals, is a much bigger surprise than if Croatia were to. But I don't think either are going to be looking at a matchup against Spain and Germany and say, okay, we're done. We're already through to the quarterfinals. Oh, of course is- not. But no one. But by the same token, too, Germany and Spain won't be saying the same thing. They won't be saying, oh, okay, we've got Croatia next we're through. I'll pose it to you this way, though. Let's assume, because we don't know how the group's going to pan out, of course, sure. but let's... I'm going to pose your hypothetical here. Yep. We have a round of 16 clash between Croatia and Spain. Yep. Who will take the disappointment of going out in the round of 16 harsher? Would it be the Spanish or the Croatians? The Spanish. So surely that would mean that Spain are, would be seeing that Croatia game as an easier game than the Croatians would see the Spanish. I think that Croatia would fancy their chances against whoever they play because they're just that plucky and, and, and have that self-belief in them, right? Croatia don't fear anyone, and nor should they. You know, their history suggests that they shouldn't. By the same token, I don't think the Spanish should be going, oh, you know, like the Spanish should be very aware of who they're playing against. And, you know, I think they would actually feel the pressure of potential failure and getting knocked out at that stage more so than what the Croatians would. So flip it the other way. That's a fair point. And essentially, this is a bit of a free hit for Croatia, this tournament. Having done so well in Russia, yes, this might be the last World Cup for a number of their players who are getting a bit long in the tooth, but after making the final in the last edition, there isn't really that sort of pressure for Croatia to go and make a deep run in this tournament because they've done it so recently. Look, I don't think that there would be expectation from the rest of the world saying, okay, that they're a favourite to win. However... I think that they, the Croatian team itself, would have a expectation that that they could progress, and they could prog- and they could go to a quarterfinal. You know, or, or, and you get to a quarterfinal, then who knows what happens? As they found out, you know, they were able to make a World Cup final. So you know, they've been there and, and thereabouts. So I actually think that, like I said, of the two of the two favourites in this group. I think Croatia have the potential to go further because of their belief, whilst the Belgians would be putting themselves under a lot of pressure because there has been a lot of this golden generation talk, right? So how far do Belgium go? My prediction is for the way this will pan out is that both sides from Group F will be going home at the round of 16. Okay. That, that's the way I see it panning cool. out. Yes, I think Croatia are more likely to get through than Belgium. Yep. Assuming it is Spain and Germany and yep. whichever order that comes out, I don't think it really makes that much of a difference. Sure. Belgium against Germany, Belgium against Spain, yep. and vice versa. But, yeah, I do think both sides coming out of Group F will be going home early. No, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Look, we'll get John Delitz's thoughts on how he thinks uh, Croatia will fare in this tournament and also uh, just get some insight on where he thinks Belgium and Morocco and Canada might pose issues to Croatia. But I, I, I agree with you to, to an extent that, yes potentially that the two teams here and their run like so the two teams that qualify and their run at the round of 16 
that's that's feasible. But of the two, I think Croatia would progress further, if you know, and I'm likely to progress further than than Belgium. So yeah, but uh, time will tell. We're getting close. We're getting close to this World Cup. It's really exciting as it's starting to ramp up, but not too far away. No, certainly not. And we'll speak in our last episode. Uh, to Sean talking about Japan's chances and if they are able to cause an upset then that definitely throws a cat amongst the pigeons for the round of 16 for, for both of these two sides well I would th- I would dare suggest that Japan would pose an unknown quantity to both uh, these nations because so, they wouldn't be expecting to play them you know. and like we said before hopefully for Asian football that the Japanese do get through so yeah it, w- it would be awesome that would be awesome to see And joining us now on the back peg, our destination Doha series for Group F chat is John Didelitzer, who is currently the director of football at Melbourne Victory and the author of a great podcast series on Optus Sport and a book as well, uh, which accompanies the uh, podcast series called Football Belongs, Eight Matches That Explain Australia. And John has got a storied career throughout Australian football, having been the chief executive of the uh, Professional Footballers Australia as well previously. So thank you very much for your time, John, and joining us on the back peg. No, thank you so much for having me, guys. Really looking forward to the discussion. So we're taking a slightly uh, different tack here. We're, we're getting people of heritage or people that placed well to give us some insight that we might not necessarily get from elsewhere. And we thought of yourself, given that you know, you've got Croatian heritage, and we thought, given what, what you're doing currently within football, you can talk to us about how football has impacted you, which you've done through that that football long series like i said which congratulations by the way on that that was a really really good podcast series yeah we just wanted to touch on how you came to get associated in into football through your your croatian roots as well into the australian game yeah again thanks for having me on the genesis of the book and the podcast series really grew from what i call a lot of a lot of coffee shop discussions you know you sit down and have a coffee with somebody and you start talking about and not talking about debating or exchanging anecdotes about why you think football hasn't quite caught in this country or perception that it hasn't caught in this country. And then you start workshopping all these different areas of Australian life where football has either shaped modern Australia or reflects modern Australia. And then you have this burning question of well, why actually doesn't it, why isn't it ubiquitous or pervasive throughout our life here? Or why is, you know, Australian football always on the outside looking in and I wanted a to get that off my chest and explain my worldview in that regard so that was what drove me to do it and I also wanted to try and give an instruction manual or a resource to others who find themselves in the same position that I do which is constantly feeling the need to defend the sport or to give it the right context to be able to actually again contextualize the beauty and the depth and breadth of our sport and what it does and that had never been done at an institutional level i feel i think you know at the pfa i was really grateful that you have a platform there that you can speak about these sorts of issues it's a very progressive organization it's always anchored itself in the history of players and their sacrifices and their contributions to the game so that gave me a lot of time to reflect on these sorts of matters so to be able to then tell that story through the book and the podcast was great. And the book started first, so I started writing three or four chapters. And I, I was just talking with, with Richard Bayless 
about who was at Optus at the time, about how this might make a better podcast series than a book, given you know, the ability to get some of the actual voices on the shows. You know, we had Ray Bartz and Craig yeah. Foster and Ange Postacoglu and Andy Harper, Kate Gill, Tal Carp, like a range, a, a, a great group of people who have got really well-formed, entertaining worldviews. So rather than just put it in print, we had a chance to actually get their voices and, and really unpack this stuff. And the reason I, I chose to do it through the prism of matches was one laziness on my, my behalf in that it, I love writing match reports. Like I grew up as a kid writing for the Geelong Advertiser newspaper and every Saturday night, you know, I'd follow all the state league games and I'd do match reports, um, you know, 250 words in the Geelong Advertiser and um, it would go to air, I'd go to print. So I had to really... You know, so doing that for six, seven or eight years, you know, every night for, for that long, I've probably written thousands and thousands of match reports. So I thought it'd be a nice way for me to make the writing process a lot more structured, a lot easier, but also a lot more engaging for those who are consuming the, the work, you know, because people might think, oh, yeah, I remember that game or I remember that player or I remember that incident and they get hooked in by that visceral memory they have mm. and then they're open to the deeper you know, and sometimes cerebral discussion of some of those topics, you know, for me is really exciting, but not for everybody. Sometimes it can be a bit dry. But yeah, so that that's really what drove it. And the first chapter that I wrote was clearly the Croatia versus yeah. Australia match in 2006. Yeah. yeah. You know, multiculturalism is something I'm in- incredibly passionate about. Yeah. But not just that, it's the fact that multiculturalism has made Australia what I call the wonderful but imperfect country that we are. And football has probably probably been the single most important part of our social fabric in building that. Um, you know, yeah, gov- government policy, you know, obviously drove a lot of that, but that didn't come until the early 70s. The White Australia policy was in place to, until the 60s. Sure. You know, Al Grasby dismantled or, or institutionalized a multicultural policy in 1973, I think, or the early 1970s. Yeah. And, you know, as I well know, a lot of the Croat and Greek and Italian soccer clubs were well and truly on their way by That's then. Right. Yeah. So the, the football leagues or the soccer leagues of Australia um, were well and truly practicing multiculturalism um, well before it became government policy. No, very true. Um, so yeah, so the Croatian game in 2006 was the first chapter I wrote because I, being at the game, it was just breath, a breathtaking match of football. Not putting aside like this, you know, this once in a generation. Mm conflation of dynamics yeah the actual match itself was unbelievable you can yeah, watch it, it now and yeah. it was just unrelenting it was a magnificent match dramatic and the stakes were so high and it just it was just heaven yeah it's fair to say that um and and for those of you that haven't listened to the football belong series on Optus sport on podcast please do it really is really is illuminating uh it's fair to say that 2006 world cup clash between australia and croatia you couldn't have lost either way, but it is a it is regarded as a World Cup classic. Aside from the fact that the referee forgot, to, you know, that he uh, handed out three yellow cards to uh, Simonic. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's funny. I was listening to another podcast um, last week, which is magnificent. And anybody who loves your work would would like this one. It's called Twenty Two Goals by a guy called Brian Phillips on the Ringer Network. It's incredible, and he actually references that moment. Yeah. So, and he's a US podcaster working for, you know designing something for a global audience and joe simonich's three yellow yellow cards gets a mention yeah there you go no it's just an instant classic it was ju- just an incredible and it's been replayed on several platforms uh, across the world so that's uh, really good really good that uh, you reference that let's put your croatian heritage hat on 
What do you make of this current Croatian side versus the side that finished uh, runner-up in the World Cup in 2018? Yeah, I think it, you know what, in 2018, I think it built to such a crescendo that, you know, it was it was, was otherworldly. Like, I, I the, closest, the closest analogy to 2018 for me was 2006 as an Aussie, watching that team and then seeing the way the 2018 Croatian team went you know even in 98 when croatia made the semi-final i thought to myself oh, we're never going to see this opportunity again to make a world cup final and sure enough 20 years later we did it and yeah it was a magnificent team and my instinctive reaction after that was probably the same as most aussie fans after 2006 was uh, our one chance to do something like we did something special but our one chance to create you know a surreal moment we might have missed it but you know fast forward four years I'm a lot more optimistic about Croatia in 2022 than I would have been for Australia in 2010, uh, for argument's sake. I look at the way Modric is still playing. Like, who would have thought in 2018 that his level would still be as high as it is? You know, he's just a freak of nature for him to still be doing what he's doing, you know, week... I won't say week in, week out, like every four days. Yeah, he's yeah, just, that's right. just incredible. So I think, I think there's about 12 or 13 players, I reckon, from the 2018 squad that'll roll across this one. And I think a lot of those guys are still playing some really good football. You know, I think, and, and in particular, probably the midfield stands out a lot for me with, with Modric, uh, Brozovic and um, and Mateo Kovacic. Yeah, all three are really, to use a cliche, in, in career best form, or mm. certainly at the peak of their powers. Yeah. And I wouldn't have thought that four years ago. I would have thought that all would have dipped. Maybe Kovacic, because, but you never know. He was still probably an unknown quantity to some degree. Mm. But he's he's been able to step into what Rakitic brought mm. in the last World Cup, no problem. So, yeah, I think there's a lot to look forward to for the Croatians. I think for a lot of observers of Croatia who don't know too much about the side, would put them down as a team that's a little bit over the hill, to, to use a harsh phrase. A side that, yes, they did so well in Russia 2018, but this side is a little bit older, therefore they're not going to be able to replicate some of the success. But looking through the recent squads that Croatia have put out, there's a lot of good young talent coming through now, not for the future, but for right now. Yeah, 100%. That, that's the thing. It's about 12 or 13 have carried over, and a lot of those guys are still playing okay. They're not just there on reputation. And then you've got another 12 or 13 guys who are certainly earning their positions in the squad, which which is you know super exciting. I mean, I, you know, Perisic is another one. I, I would have thought Perisic maybe yep. twenty eighteen would have been the end of him mm. of his journey, but you know he's at Spurs now. He's you know physically good, playing okay. So I, I think you know the young emerging guys, you know, they're on merit. You know, Juranovic is doing well at Celtic in particular because I thought Vitesko was going to be a loss. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's stepped up and he's, you know, doing really well. Mm. And clearly under range, players are going to improve. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think my, my view was the same as yours, Nathan. In 20, After 2018, I would have thought this group of players, it would have been that generation where your best players were too old and your younger players weren't there yet. But I think they're closer together than what we probably anticipated they would be. And to that point, I want to ask you specifically about Gvadiol the centre-half at RB Leipzig, who has really set Europe alight yeah. in the last 18 months or so, a player who seemingly came from nowhere to one of Europe's brightest prospects. 
a lot of them do come from nowhere with the Croats. It's amazing how they just sprout up. Yeah, but he scored. Right I saw that he scored against, scored against Real Madrid um, in the round in mm. weekday five of the Champions mm. League. And, you know, that speaks volumes that he's playing. You guys know with like RB Leipzig and, um, you know, Red Bull Salzburg and the whole Red Red Bull football group, they're meticulous in their planning. You know, the amount of IP they bring to the table in terms of their recruitment and play management is, you know, probably only second to maybe the City Football Group in the, at the level they're operating. And they don't pick players by accident. You know, it's not like they've got some billionaire owner who's just randomly throwing, play, you, know, dart, you know, darts at a, at a board saying, let's sign this guy or watches a highlight clip and some guy hits a bomb from 40, so mm. let's sign him. These guys are working through every player in the globe to find the right match for their football. Yeah. And their football is modern, it's progressive, it's energetic, it's what's going to win World Cups. Yep. You know, well-organised, well-structured. So someone like Guardiola, again, that's a perfect example of mm. someone who wasn't on the scene four years ago, he's been able to step up and, mm. you know, be a, a world-class player. The fascinating thing about this Croatian side or the Croatian national team has is the ability for it to regenerate itself. You've touched on it, like, you know, you've got 12 or 13 that of the 2018 crop that are going to be part of this 26, and then you've got another 12 and thir- or 13 who are going to jump in, and it just seems, it, it's seamless. And, you know, when I look at it compared to the Group F opponents, the, the other fancied Group F opponents in Belgium, and people talking about their golden generation, and this is the end of their golden generation right now, I don't see Belgium troubling Croatia or, or, or that much, or Croatia, anything to fear against Belgium. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I don't think Croatia needs to fear any opposition. I, you know, I've been a student of the World Cup since 86, I reckon. I was a young kid in Same. 86. I can't, I can't say that I, I was academically <laughs> dissecting the squads, but I certainly remember tracking all the players. Yep. And I don't remember there being an open World Cup like this ever. Mm. I think there's always been a couple of teams who were, you know, nominal favourites. I think this is this is as even even a, a pyramid of teams as I've seen, which I think gives someone like Croatia more of a chance in some respects. Um, you know, to your point earlier, Nathan, as well, I mean, Croatia, about being over Hill, like Croatia's won their last four games. You know, the, they beat France, they beat Denmark, they beat Austria twice. Oh, sorry, beat Denmark twice, they beat Austria, they beat mm. France. So there's no reason why they can't beat a Belgium or or they should fear a Belgium. You've got Canada and Morocco, uh, Morocco yeah. obviously, too. So I think, like, historically, Croatia, where Croatia has struggled is in playing countries that they're not necessarily familiar with with their style of play. Like I remember Mexico in 2014, I want to mm, say, or yeah. 2010, you know, um, bamboozled. Some of the Central American teams and yeah. South American teams can sometimes unsettle us. But I look at this group and think maybe Morocco, it'll be interesting to see how they shape up, what they can, you know, because the Croatian players won't be, be too used to playing against that le- that sort of opposition. So that might be more challenging for them. But, you know, you think with Canada, notwithstanding their improvement, that they'll get through this group pretty easily mm. and, you know, be able to really, you know, have a crack beyond that. And look, again, I'm sort of still conscious of the fact that we needed two penalty shootouts to get to the final in 2018. So it's not like we breezed past everyone. But then I counted that and going in the in the, um, in the the earlier rounds, we smashed Argentina. I mean, we, mm. we smashed them, played That's beautiful right. football. And so we've got that in our, you know, we've certainly got in our game to beat anyone on the day 
convincingly. And I, I think with under the leadership of a Modric, they've got a resilience in that group that many people don't often associate with Croatians. They tend to put them into that bucket of being unpredictable and unreliable and emotional and um, you know that sort of Balkan mentality. But I, I think that's probably unfair. I think we've seen real consistency from this generation of Croatian players over you know nearly 10 years about how focused they are. And a lot of that I think is Modric, you know, such a cool, consistent performer. So looking at this group with Belgium, Morocco and Canada, are you swinging more towards hopeful that Croatia will win it, the group, or expectation? I think hope. I think Belgium, you know, across three games, I'd suggest that Belgium will probably top the group. But I, it doesn't, again, wouldn't surprise me in a day for us to be able to beat Belgium. Like, I don't think there's any surprise if you, you wake up on a the morning after a game and say the Croatia's won 2-1 or 2-0 or 3-1 or particularly they could get beaten by someone of Belgium's quality. But yeah, for me, there's no reason why they can't top the group, um, but absolutely they'd be devastated if they didn't go through from this group given Morocco and Canada, um, the, lack of, the lack of quality they've had mm. in recent World Cups. I think this first World Cup Canada's qualified for since 86. Um, and in 86, they got walloped, I think 6-0 by Russia. Yep. They lost 2-0 to Hungary and lost 1-0 to a late goal from Jean-Pierre Papin against France. They, they certainly don't have a rich walk-up history, unlike their women. You know? so no, that's right. Should be getting past them. I've actually got Croatia winning this group. I actually think that they'll uh, knock over Belgium. And like you said, it wouldn't surprise us. It wouldn't surprise, you know, it wouldn't be a surprise to anyone that Croatia does beat Belgium and win the group. I actually think that they'll go through, uh, you know, on nine points. So how far do you see Croatia going into the tournament? So you obviously you the expectation would be that they qualify out of the group and then waiting in the wings is more than likely going to be Spain or Germany. Do they uh, get past uh, Spain or Germany? Penalty, what, a, via penalty shootout. <laughs> although, 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 um, our record against both those teams isn't too bad. Like, I mean, Spain, we had a couple of mixed results in the what do they call it, the Nations League. Yeah. Um, but in Germany, like one of our, I think, you know, there's there's probably a, a fraternal relationship of sorts with Germany. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so many Croatians who go and live and work yep. in Germany. There's historically been a lot of players from the Croatian national team who have, you know, drew German born, you know, the Kovac brothers and, mm-hmm. you know, some really, some of our most famous players have got, you know, links into Germany and Switzerland. Mm. So there's this, there's this, fraternal relationship with Germany and if you recall in 1998 on our route to the semis we beat them 3-0 that's right um, and that was probably one of the sweetest wins mm. at that time in the nation's history you know yeah. Croatia achieved independence in the early 90s and we played in the Euros in 96 and we did really well Shuk had scored a couple of great goals particularly one against Denmark yep. a lovely chip yeah, over the chip Michael. over Schmeichel yes and yeah, so we had a bit of momentum going into 98, but that win against Germany was incredibly special. You know, Robert Yarny scored this beautiful left-footed strike. and yep. So I don't think Croatia comes into a game against the Germany and fears it. Mm. I think they're going, great. Now, this is the stage we deserve to be on. Yep. We know we can match these guys. Yep. You know, there's a, a manageable arrogance amongst these amongst most Croatian players at this level. I like that too. You know, they, they each, each, each one should be... Each, one, each player on this list would be thinking... I should be at Barcelona. I should be at Real Madrid. That's right. Yeah. You know, I should be at Liverpool. You know, so there's no fear of the big stage. There's no 
imposter syndrome, as it were. So I think they're right. I think the better the team in that level, the better they'll perform. And in this World Cup, John, is it the case, do you think, that there's a bit of a free hit at play here for Croatia, given they did so well in Russia 2018? There's not really that expectation for Croatia to make a deep run in this tournament? Or do you see it the other way? We can, we've can, we shown that we can do it recently. Let's do it again. Yeah, I think it's the latter. I mean, I think the beer gardens of Croatia would have high, very high expectations. You know, the the Karlovačka corners and all the beer manufacturers in Croatia would be hanging on there making at least the semis just to increase their margins this European summer. So there's no, I don't think there's certainly when they go home or preparing for the tournament or speaking to their family, there'd be no sense of, oh, what well on guys in 2018, just take your foot off the pedal. It's going to be, mate, if you just don't make the final this year, you know that the, the country's going to go into recession. So we need something from <laughs> will, you. Will they be it's drinking beer or rakia, given that it's winter? Both. Both? That's it. It's not like, you know, it's there's no responsible service of alcohol policies in Croatia or... or, 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 uh, or like, like most European you know, nations. You know, you know, I know exactly where no, you're coming from. Right. <laughs> there's no government advisory ads talking about moderate drinking. That's it, that's um, it. This summer. It's, uh, quite the contrary, mate. So um, I think um, the, the beer slash rakia combo well received. Uh, that's fair enough. It, the, the cafes along the, um, the coast. Very true. It'll be remiss of us not to ask you how you think uh, the soccer is will fare in this tournament, given your Melbourne victory hat. Oh, yeah, look, look, it's not going to be easy. I mean, I think we all understand the size of the challenge the soccer is facing. You know, that, you know, I think the first game's against France. That's right. From here, so you get the running champions first up, and then it's bookended by with Denmark. So it's not easy. And, you know, I hate to say it, we just want to put in a good showing and all that stuff. I, you know, I always like to think that we can go there, play our football, and and you know, if we do go down, we go down swinging. You know, very much the Ange ethos of previous World Cups is that you know let's let's go out on our terms. So hopefully, Arnie takes that approach into into this World Cup. And I think it's in Qatar, which which should help us. I mean, all of our players have spent a lot of time playing in the Middle East, mm. unlike a lot of the European players. That's right. It's new to them. Uh, probably the South American players. None of the very few of those players would have had as much experience in the Middle East as what our guys will have had. So, you know, does that give us some edge, some advantage over the opposition? Maybe. You know, look, I just I just really hope that we if we don't go through that we go we, we go out on our terms. Yep. And we don't go out whimpering, playing, you know, ten players behind the ball, that we try to do something and and, you know, people at least say that you know what, Australian football's going in the right direction. And, you know, a lot of that will depend on selection, how ambitious how ambitious Arnie is with mm. who he picks. You know, I'm not going to put money on us to make the final. No, that's fair but enough. I'm certainly, certainly know, you know, having worked with a lot of the players that are in the squad, is they're wonderful young men. I think, you know, people would have seen the video recently yeah. that they released about Qatar, the human rights issues in Qatar. These are, you know, men of substance who love the game, who are great ambassadors for the game. And I know how much they want to make that plane. The players that are vying for the squad, I see it every day. And guys like Nick D'Agostino and yep. Jackie Brimmer and Chris Economides, how much, how hard they're working to make that plane. I know when they get there, if they're given the right support and the right environment um, and the right instructions, you know, maybe they can, they'll, I'm sure they'll do us proud. Um, but one hopes they can, you know, outplay 
some of the more fancied rivals. And on that point, the A-League season doesn't do them many favours with only seven or eight games before the World Cup kicks off. Yeah, it's going to be challenging. I, I, I think it's whether it is whether it's a challenge in reality or perception. I'm not sure, mm. but I think the perception certainly is that there'll be players in Europe who will have played five, ten, fifteen, twenty games yeah. of good competitive football. So they'll be given there's no camp per se, like the last games even in the A-League is the 11th and the games kick off around the 20th That's the right. World Cup. So it's not like the old days where you can do 21 days camp. Mm. So even if you're not, even if you're getting into camp a bit under condition, you've got three weeks of training to work with the coach, get yourself fit and get your your real conditioning in. I think from a, with a victory lens on, I know how hard Popper pushes the group and our, anyone from victory makes it will be fit and ready to go. And if it does go a bit wrong for Australia in Qatar, do you uh, fear losing your manager? Oh. <laughs> John, that's a setup. Sorry, I had no idea he was going to ask that question. Pop is a wonderful manager, and you know, he is. if he was to, you know, look, I hope he coaches the Socceroos one day. He was a famous soccer himself. Yes. He played the World Cup in 06. He was part of that great night against Uruguay. In 05, he's a wonderful Australian. He's a you know wonderful coach. So I think one day it'll happen. Hopefully not until Victory's won a couple of toilet seats. No, that's fair enough. So John, <laughs> time to to uh, do a fearless prediction. Overall winner of the World Cup. Yeah, you know what? I've actually thought about this a lot, and I, I it's really hard for me to pin my colours to a mast. Mm-hmm. I'd love it if it was. All I'm going to say is I'd love it if it was a new winner. Yeah. I'd love it if it was a team that had never won it before, like yep. a Belgium mm-hmm. would be one, or the Dutch would be wonderful mm-hmm. um, because they they play good football, it'd be great. A part of me is leaning towards Argentina, but I don't know if that's more my heart than my head. Because I'd love to see Messi yep. bow out from international football holding that, the Jules Rimet trophy yeah. high above his head, mate. Yep. It'd be, be surreal to see that, you know. Um, but I don't, I don't, uh, if I had, if I was pressed, Mm-hmm. I'll probably say Argentina. Okay. But again, I think my preference would be some new blood holding the trophy aloft. Uh, I don't think you're alone there. I think, yeah, look, yes, I think part of the football world would like to see Messi win that World Cup. But again, yeah, I agree with you there as well that everybody would love to see a new winner, I think. I think I think it would and just think add to the chance. fabric of the World Cup. More, yeah. yeah. And more so than ever, I think we've we've got more teams who haven't won it before who are realistic chances yeah. you know there's no reason why belgium couldn't win it there's no reason why the dutch couldn't win it they've been close obviously three times um you know 74 78 and 2010 there's no reason why they couldn't win it you know so let's see how we go and you mentioned earlier there's no real obvious favorite coming into this tournament so perhaps we'll we will get a bit of a roughie make a deep run into this tournament maybe it'll be croatia after all look one can only dream that's One it. can only dream. I wouldn't dare pick him because, for fear of putting any moz yep. on them, as it were. Yep. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll be cheering him on. John, we just Australia's eliminated. No, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. John, we want to thank you for your time. All the best with Melbourne victory this season yep. as well, and congratulations again on the brilliant job done with regards to the football belongs uh, podcast series and book. No, thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate the kind words and all the very best with the work you're doing. 
criteria. And obviously, you can hear uh, the Football Belongs podcast series on wherever you get your podcasts. Just Google Football Belongs and you'll find it. And it sold pretty well, so I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. Australian Podcast of the Year 2021. Congratulations, John. Well deserved. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks again. So let's start to look at these teams one by one, and we'll yep. kick things off with Belgium. Yep. Number two in the world at the FIFA rankings. Mm-hmm. Perhaps a little bit of a faux position, what we are talking about before, with some of the ageing players and the defensive question marks that Roberto Martinez has to contend with. But it's still a relatively strong team, one that perhaps is getting a little bit underestimated coming into this tournament. They got through qualifying without losing a single game, only drawing two out of ten, winning the other eight in a group with Wales, the Czech Republic, Estonia, and Belarus. Reasonably difficult to get through undefeated. Mm -hmm. And looking at some of their recent form, it is a bit patchy. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of questionable performances and results against the Dutch, Mm -hmm. but the rest of it looks pretty strong coming into this tournament. Look, they're to be respected. There's no doubt about it, right? They've managed to get to that number two ranking because they've been pretty consistent. The only thing is that when it has come to the majors they've been found wanting. And that's where I think, again, that in this edition of the World Cup, that they'll be found wanting. So they were found wanting in Brazil 2014, Mm -hmm. when they had Mark Wilmot on the sideline. Yep. After that, they got rid of him, Roberto Martinez has come in, Yep. and it was a very respectable third place in Russia. Yeah, yeah. But let's look at the Euros, the last Euros. Like, yes, okay. No doubt being respectable, but... They've fallen short, and this side has been groomed to try and win one of those two majors that they compete in, either in the Euros or the World Cup, and they haven't been able to deliver. I think they've reached their ceiling. Look, you can't deny the class of De Bruyne, right, who's my player to watch out for, Um, and their goalkeeper is just brilliant, right? He's just brilliant. So, Courtois. So... Yeah, uh, look, I don't think that um, I don't think they'll win it. I don't think I, they'll. Win. I agree with you on that. Belgium right. are not going to win this tournament, and, I'll, and they're going to fall short. Yes, and I think speaking with my Dutch hat on, mm-hmm. if Belgium were able to win a World Cup before mm-hmm. the Netherlands, it would be uh, traumatic, a massive, <laughs> traumatic, and a major disaster for Dutch football, left, right, and centre. Yeah, I think the Belgians will definitely have one over uh, the Dutch, if that's the case, because at least the, the Dutch have won a Euro. But, um, yeah, I, look, yeah, I'll take your point there. I just don't think that this side, unfortunately, will be able to win. thing is, there's so many names in this side. Yeah. Like, just looking at a, a lineup that perhaps might take the field at this World Cup, you've got Eden Hazard, Lukaku and De Bruyne, you've got Carrasco of Atletico Madrid, Mernier of Borussia Dortmund, Yuri Tielemans, who's a fantastic midfielder at Leicester City. He's a great player. There's so many good names, at least on paper, from this Belgium lineup, And that's not to mention some of the players will come in that are equally as impressive, like Onana, who has Everton this season really has um, taken to the Premier League. Yeah, this side is really an enigma. Because you look at it and go, they can win this. They could potentially win it. They put a run together and they could win it. But I just don't see it happening. Only because of the lack of success or, okay, the failures that they've had in in previous editions. That's purely what it comes down to. Once bitten, twice shy. Yeah, look, you know, like I was saying earlier, the Croatians have gone further. 
So when I look at it, I, I, I actually have more confidence in Croatia going further than what I do with this Belgian side. That's where, what it really comes down to. Now, when you look at it player by player, I think the Belgian side has got a stronger player group from a technical point of view as compared to the Croatians. But there's just something about the Croatian mentality and, the, and this side that, you know, and their results suggest otherwise. The thing is for both these sides, they're able to build into the tournament because, as we mentioned, the Belgium-Croatia game is the last one mm. of the group. Yeah. So both these sides are going to have matches against Canada and Morocco to start. And I think we'll both agree that coming into that last match day, they both should be on six out of six. I agree. Now, the draw does uh, favour both these sides, the way that it's worked out. And, and it's not- just a question of who wants to finish first. And then it's basically take your pick out of Spain and Germany. That's right. It doesn't really matter that much, as we're no. saying. So you're able to build into this tournament, but... By the time you get up to a decent level, if you are Belgium and Croatia, you might be going home before you know it. Correct, correct. Yeah, look, do you see any these two nations winning it? No, I don't I don't see, yeah. as I said before, I don't see either of them getting past around 16. Yeah, that's right. So this bottom half of the draw is going to prove to be the most difficult, I think, because you look at it, you've got Spain and Germany waiting in the wings here, and then you've got, obviously, Belgium and Croatia, but we've already set our piece on what we think, right? And we, we believe that uh, Morocco and Canada... We'll, could provide some nuisance factor, but won't provide a threat. Then you look at the other two groups, which we'll be covering off in, in future episodes of this bottom half of the draw. Whoever comes through this bottom half of the draw is, get, is going to have one heck of a preparation going into the final. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, there's so many big teams on this bottom half of the draw. Uh, I can't wait to get into the last two groups yeah. in the next few episodes, but yeah. there's some massive teams in there and uh, some of the hot favourites to take everything out. My favourite as well, which we'll yes. get onto in a yes. later episode. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. So, who would, of the other two, Canada and Morocco, who would provide the most nuisance factor? I, I would say Morocco. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Yeah. Just looking at this Moroccan side, the sort of players that they're going to be um, trotting out for the national team, it is a strong-looking team. There's a lot of high-level European experience in there. You've got... Yeah. A couple of fullbacks at Absolutely. big clubs as well. Masroia at Bayern Munich and mm-hmm. Hakimi at PSG. Your El Nasiri at Sevilla and mm-hmm. Bruno the goalkeeper as well at Sevilla. Yeah. There's Correct. some good talent in this Moroccan side. A team that, similar to Japan, massively underestimated coming into this tournament. Mm. Yeah, look, they'll provide, some, like I said, they will provide some interesting moments for Croatia and Belgium to deal with in their matches. There's no doubt about it. And they'll, they'll pose a challenge. But... I don't know. I just don't see them getting through as much as, you know, I, I would like to see underdogs get through. It would be awesome because I think it would be great for the World Cup to actually have these stories to tell. But just don't see these sides troubling um, Belgium or Croatia, unfortunately. But uh, look, I think that Morocco would be more of a threat than Canada. I think Morocco's uh, play to watch for mine is Zayic. Has to be. It's an interesting pick. It has to be Zayic. Because this is a guy who's not really playing that much for Chelsea. Was a great player at Ajax before he moved to the Premier League, but since then... is a big World Cup for him. It is a massive World Cup for him. Not only on the short term, provi- providing performances for his national team, but also putting himself in the shot window for a Correct. move perhaps in January. That's what I am referring to. Yeah, that's what I'm referring to. I think that this World Cup will put a few people on the, in the January transfer window. And I think we might actually see some movement more so this January than what we've seen in previous January transfer windows, only because of the fact that players have got the potential to put themselves in the shop window and try and make a case to uh, for their moves. It's not often a, 
a buy based on World Cup form pans out though is that I remember Manchester United signing Cleberson uh, off his World Cup performances that did not work out in do the slightest have, do we have to talk about Manchester United <laughs> on this podcast <laughs> it's bad enough we're agreeing with you know, Belgium and Croatia but you know come on <laughs> Manchester United <laughs> Now, now we're going to see some DMs come through. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, for mine from Morocco, the player to watch is Sofiane Buffal, mm-hmm. a player who didn't really work out at Southampton, yep. gone to Angers yep. in France, and he has started the season fantastically. Yeah, yes. He he's in amongst the goals, providing assists as well, doing well for a, a French side who's doing all right in in Ligue 1, and his link up with Ziyech, with El Nasiri, and that midfield. That's going to be essential for Morocco, for mine, if they are looking at getting something out of what is a tough group for them. So if we go back to episode one, mm-hmm. group A, yep. I had Senegal going through in second place to the round of 16. You had them going home. And on that episode, you said that you see the fortunes of the African continent elsewhere in this World Cup. Now, were you alluding to Morocco or another side? Another side, which I will uh, disclose at a later episode. How about you? So I think... So I've got Senegal going through to the round of 16. Yeah, yeah, you do. I think that is the best chance for Africa. I think they can make a deep run in this tournament, depending on who comes out of Group B. But we've talked about those in previous episodes, and we'll get into our knockout predictor mm. later on. Morocco can get out of this group. It is possible oh, yeah, for they them can. to it, do it. There's a possibility. I think it depends... On, it obviously depends on whether Belgium and Croatia turn up at this tournament. It's more on Belgium going out than Morocco getting through. Yes, I agree with you there. I think there's pressure on Belgium. I really, there's a lot of pressure on this Belgian side. I don't think Martinez makes it past this World Cup, though. I don't know if he's, I can't recall if he's indicated that this is his last uh, tournament with Belgium or what the contract situation is with regards to Belgium, but I suspect that this is Martinez's last stand with Belgium. So let's turn our attention to the fourth team of this group, the mm-hmm. Canadians. Yes. Only their second ever World Cup finals appearance. Yep. The others being uh, a Mexico 1986 group stage exit. Very disappointing off the back of that. This Canadian side who has topped CONCACAF qualifying, yep. ahead of a Mexican side who you think that will get out of the groups into the round of 16. An American side as well, mm-hmm. who have a, a lot of young talent coming into this tournament mm-hmm. and some tricky games mm-hmm. in Group B. Yep. But as we stand here looking at this Canadian team I can only see one result for them at this World Cup which is finishing bottom of the group same no, I, I, I can see that I can see that I, I actually think that they've done very well to finish the top of their CONCACAF region I think that um, a player to watch out for is Alfonso Davis obviously from Bayern Munich as without saying superstar kid however I don't see Canada offering much of a threat to knock off Morocco, let alone Croatia and Belgium. Yeah, my player to watch in this is Jonathan David, the striker from Lille. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a good striker on the up and up in European mm. football. Yep, and he's. the problem is for this Canadian team is the defence in the midfield. Yeah, because even Alfonso Davies, who plays the left fullback for Bayern Munich, yep. he does play a lot further forward for Canada, either yep. in the number 10 slot, up front, Correct. or on the left wing. Yep. He doesn't play in the defence no. and what you're left with is a Canadian defence that is mostly based in North America whether it be in Canada or in American MLS sides Yeah, and I think the likes of Lukaku De Bruyne yeah. Hazard yeah. and Crammeridge hmm. etc they will run rampant against yeah. Canadian defence no I agree with you there look I think one thing that we might be able to agree on 
is that they the Canadians will give a good account of themselves. I, I think they'll they'll be honest. I think they'll they'll tall away, they'll do whatever they can to try and affect the result. Unfortunately, the quality of the other three nations I see will relegate them to the uh, bottom of the table of their group. So what do you see them finishing on? Like Zero. Nil point, as you would say. Nil point. Nil point. And Not to sound too Eurovision. No. <laughs> and probably uh, a hefty negative goal difference as well. I wouldn't say hefty, but... Well, it depends on your definition of hefty, I that's suppose. That's right. If it gets into the minus fives, minus sixes... Thereabouts. Yeah. That's what I think. Is that making a good account of yourself? You can only... Look, they've got a difficult draw. It, the draw doesn't do them any favours. I mean, they're a pot forward team. Is there any draw that they could have got hang that wouldn't be difficult? Let's, let's wait. Hang on. If they are in the group with Wales, Iran and England, there's only one powerhouse there. There is, but I still okay, think... so in this group here, we're saying... Yeah, sure. But Iran, they'd be a lot closer to Iran and Wales than what they would be with Belgium, Croatia and Morocco. That is true, but at the end of the day, they're still going I'm glad home. you said it's true, and I'm glad you agree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you, but I'm also saying that it doesn't really matter because they're not good enough to get anything out of many of the games, many of the matchups at this tournament. Sure. But look, what are these weaker nations, supposedly weaker nations? Well, they are weaker nations, but what are they supposed to do? They can't just roll over. Of course, they're going to give a good account of themselves. They're playing for their country, for goodness sake. Oh, I'm, I'm not saying that they're going to say, just be like a I don't expect turn. them to get hammered, though. I don't expect them to, like, unless someone gets sent off or what have you, right? I'm saying normal course of events, 11 versus 11, right? A 2-3-0 to three nil loss would be the, the most that I can see that they would actually, you know, concede. They've got Belgium first, right? I think Belgium put at least three past them. Yeah. Well, oh, look, okay. Uh, and I agree with you. But I think that then they've got Croatia next, right? And I think Croatia might put two on them, right, conservatively. And then you've got Morocco last. I don't see Morocco putting a score on them. We'll go through game by game a bit later on. Yeah, sure. But the way it'll pan out, I think we'll both agree that they'll finish on zero points yep. and at least minus five goal difference. Correct. I'll, I'll agree with you there. And although it is a good story for the Canadians, their first World Cup in 40 years nearly, with a manager who'll be the first to manage at both the men's and women's which World is a, Cups. Which is a great feat. Great feat. But I think that's where the feel-good factor ends for this Canadian team. Yep. No, that's fair enough. Look, let's not forget that this is a great learning experience for the Canadians and that their eyes on the bigger prize, which is the next World Cup. Not this one, the next one, because they're a host. And that's a good point, because there's no pressure on Canada at this tournament. There will be a bit more pressure in 2026 to actually do something, as is there is for Qatar for this tournament. Yeah, the hosts always have a bit more pressure on their shoulders. Correct, correct. And, and I suspect that what the pressure will be will be... Well, you know, the 2026 World Cup would be to to actually get out of that group of three when yeah, that happens. <laughs> two are going through out of That's three. That's right, correct. So as long as you don't embarrass yourself, you'll be going through. Correct. So we're in agreement there? I think we are in agreement there. And Wonderful. I think, I think that's where we can end our Canadian chat. All right. So sh- that, well, should we do game by game? I've now? basically trashed them. You have. <laughs> You're going to have to edit that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I mean, I, mean I, didn't, I didn't slander them. I just, I just don't think they're very good. No, that's right. <laughs> Our Canadian friends. And I'm sure if there's a Canadian version of the back peg... Yeah, they'd be saying the same thing about Australia. Yeah. I agree. You can leave this part in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's go game by game. Let's go game by game, Nathan. We've derided... We've bashed the, the Canadians up. Well, you have, right? I've I mean, said they'll give a good account of themselves, but... Hey. 
you know, hey. Perhaps I've been a bit forward with my uh, no, that's Canadian fair I'm sure they would be saying exactly the same thing I about our Socceroos. In the last pod, you said that I'm anti-AFC. I think I might cop a bit that I'm anti-CONCACAF after this because I said Mexico are going home, America's you, going home. That's right. You're, Costa Rica's going to be you, bottom. You, well, look, I think, you know, uh, CONCACAF does it to itself. Now, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, okay, so let's go with match day one, Morocco versus Croatia. How do you see that playing out? Croatia 2-1 for mine. I think they get on the board, Morocco, but I think the midfield will let them down Okay. in these big games. Yeah. Oh, look, I'd, I have to agree with you here. 2-1, Croatia. The other game in match day one is Belgium versus Canada. How are you seeing that? I said out? just before that Belgium can put at least three past them. Mm-hmm. I've got it down as a 3-0, but it could really be anything. It could. Look, it could. I just think that the Canadians will sit behind as behind the ball as much as they can and, and try and hold on and minimise the damage I can see I agree with you there again that um, that Belgium will win 3-0 we've got to stop agreeing it's getting a bit samey here yeah. at the moment I think perhaps our results will differ a bit later on perhaps game by game but pa- perhaps, so perhaps. our groups at the moment are Belgium 3 points plus 3 goal difference yep. Croatia on 3 plus 1 yep Morocco 0 minus 1 mm-hmm. and Canada 0 minus 3 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. match day 2 Belgium against Morocco Belgium against Morocco. Yeah, this is an interesting one. I'm just going to throw a spanner into the works here. I'm going to say draw. I'm going to say two all. Two all. Wow. I've got this down as a 2-0 win for Belgians for the same reasons. I think there's more opportunity for Canada to hit against Belgium than there is the Moroccans. Mm -hmm. I think the likes of Fonzie, as he's known, Mm -hmm. and Jonathan David, there's a bit more pace Mm -hmm. in this uh, Canadian team than there is the Moroccan one. Mm-hmm. So if you are hitting on the break, looking for transitions, I think the Canadians are more likely to get something. Mm-hmm. I think in the Belgium game, they get found out a little bit. 2-0 to the Belgians. Okay. So Croatia, Canada. 2-1, Croatia. I think 2-0, Croatia. So that's our first point of difference. There you go. The point for Morocco against Belgium. There you go. Okay. So then match day three. We go Croatia, Belgium. Let's get to it. 2-2. 2-2? I think Croatia win. I think Croatia win. I think Croatia win 2-1. Did my reasoning that both these sides are coming into this last game on six points. Yep. It's already sewn up. Yep. I think they just take the take the draw, yep. avoid any major injuries, and yep. um, see them both safely through to the knockouts. And how do you see Morocco, Canada? I've got this one down as a Moroccan win, 3-1. Yeah, I'll go with 2-1 to Morocco. So my final group is... Belgium winning the group 7 points plus 5. Croatia 7 points plus 2. Morocco 3 points minus 1. And Canada nil point minus 6. They like nil point because uh, there is some French-speaking Canadians, of course. There you go, of course. Of course. So, yeah, I was wondering why you were referring to the goal difference, but now I've just figured it out. You've illuminated us, which is fantastic. So I've got Croatia finishing the group on 9 points. That but, would be quite impressive yeah. to come through this group with 3 wins. Yeah, I think they win. I think they win the group and Belgium finishing second on four. I just think that they'll go ahead of Morocco on uh, goal difference there. Well, the head-to-head, whichever way it works out. But I, I see Belgium getting out of this group, but finishing in uh, second place. And Morocco finishing on third, or in third, and Canada going home with zero. That is our game-by-game prediction. We'll see how it all pans out. Lazarus, have you got a fun fact for us? So in this episode, we've got... Qatar is a country where the sea meets the desert. There I mean, the sea meets the sand in a lot of places. Yeah, it does. That's, That's fair. But the sea meeting a desert? 
Mm. Doesn't happen too often. I wouldn't have thought so, but if it's going to happen anywhere in the world, it's going to happen over there, isn't it? I think this is episode five of Destination Doha, and the uh, Qatar quirky facts. Perhaps we're running a little bit dry. No, no, there's more. But I don't. <laughs> I just want to keep them up my sleeve because I've got one here, but I don't want to use it right now. I think it's just. You're saving the best for last time. Well, I don't know if it's the best, but hey, like you know, we've got to find something. I mean, the world's flattest cycling track. Like that. that that's pretty exciting. No, it's the second flattest country in the world, but. It has got a continuous cycle track, which is about 33 kilometres. The longest continuous cycle path in the world. There you go. So do you want to do our quick word association? Yeah, let's do the word association. Let's do the word association. Belgium. What's your word association? Belgium waffles. Waffles? I was going to say beer. Beer. Yeah, the beer's good. I was going to say The beer's good in Belgium. The waffles are good too. Yeah. Love love me a good Belgium waffle. Croatia. What first comes to mind is all the all the beaches and the the, the, the great Adriatic scenery. Sea. Yeah, yep. the Adriatic Sea. I agree with you there. The Brovnik and those. Yeah, absolutely. Morocco, Casablanca. Same. Yeah. Yeah. We're on Same. a wavelength today. Oh, uh, this is scary. Canada, Niagara Falls, maple syrup. Yep. Maple so syrup. So you said waffles and it just made me hungry. <laughs> yep, maple syrup on your Belgian waffles. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the world game. There you go. Apologies to everyone out there who is, is, is a bit game. on the hungrier side. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so that just about rounds us up for Destination Doha Episode 5, talking about Group F. And thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for joining us here on The Back Peg. We found The Back Peg. We have found The Back Peg. We always find it. Every episode we find The Back Peg. It would be good to, to uh, actually get The Back Pegging in one day, but let's see how we go. We keep hitting it. That's good. Uh, thanks to everyone for joining us. And... Uh, Look forward to the next episode, which I think we'll be covering off Group G. Yes, Group G with Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, and Cameroon. Another tasty group. Yeah, that one is a difficult group again. They're all difficult. When you get to this World Cup, uh, you know, the World Cup stage, they're all tasty groups. So uh, looking forward to talking about Brazil's chances and Serbia's chances and Switzerland and, of course, Cameroon, who are World Cup mainstays. Stay tuned uh, on our uh, socials, which is the Backpeg on Instagram. Send us a message. So the Backpeg, all one word. I've been Nathan Gould. And I'm Lazarus Kramos. We'll speak to you soon. Take care.